Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Today's text is going to be 2 Samuel 11. We're not going to get there for a while, but that's where we're going, okay? So I'm going to recap for you here a little bit because this is extraordinary. It's the life lessons from David. So to, to pick up where we left off last week, you'll remember that David was having some issues with his wife, McCall. You might remember that Pastor Rife told us that she was barren for the rest of her life, not because God chose to make her barren, but because her husband chose to make her barren. Okay? So what that meant was he was the king. He was the only one who was allowed to make her unbarren, and he chose not to ever be with her again. So chapter 6 is where that story takes place. I'm going to recap for you. Chapter 7, David goes out and has military. Uh, he, goes, he enters into covenant with God. So in other words, this is where God says, hey, man, I think you're rad, and I'm going to bless your family for the rest of the days. Cool, man. We're friends, okay? The Davidic covenant. That's where that's established, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then he goes out in chapter 8, and he has some military victories. And then he comes back. And in chapter 9, um, he, is in, he is in a place where he sends out his folks and they call him out for the victories. So he has some more military victories. And by chapter 10 and 11, David is sitting at home in Jerusalem. And, he's, and I'm going to just let you know, he's been fighting this one group of people the entire time, the Ammonites. That's really important. The Ammonites is who he's been fighting this entire time from chapter 6 to chapter 11. So that's the preface of what I'm about to give you. Now we're going to hit fast forward. Everybody who used to have a VHS in your house, say hey. hey. All right. For you kids who don't know what that means, that's a chapter skip on your DVD. Okay? <laughs> DVDs were these things we used to use before we had streaming. Okay? Oh, sorry. So now we're going to fast forward. And I want to read to you Psalms 51. And I'm going to just read it, and I'm reading it out of the new uh, Revised Standard Version, because that's the one I have. And uh, I'm going to just start right here in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so that you are justified in, my, in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. I don't know about y'all. But whenever I read this, this isn't a guy who's real pleased with himself. Let's continue. 
You desire truth in the inner beings. Therefore, teach me wisdom in your secret in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Still sounds like a guy who's pretty mad at who? Himself. But come on now. I say this verse at least four times a day. This next passage of scripture is posted up in my home. One of the favorite songs that I've ever sang in my life says these words. It's something I recite that's in the deep bowels of who I am. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And renew a right spirit in me. And cast not your Holy Spirit from me. And don't take your presence from me. He says in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. He still ain't mad, is he? Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. You need to catch who is saying this right now. This cat that we've been talking about how awesome he is, hates himself right now. And he is fully aware and conscious of how miserable he is to himself and pathetic he is before God. Man, this cast just laid it all out. And so my question for you today is this. Have you ever made a mistake so big that you never thought you'd recover from it? Have you ever made a mistake in your life that you thought that you could never come back from? Have you ever done something stupid in the rash of the moment, the heat of passion that cost you a lifetime of regret? This is where David is when he writes Psalms 51. Before I forget, Tia, if you're watching, I gotta say this before I forget it. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love destroys fear. And so right now, Father, I speak that perfect love would surround Michael wherever he's at right now. And any fear and any worry, any anxiety, any doubts, God, that's coming to him right now, Lord, I speak against that imperfect love, your love. In your love, we cast out all fear right now that's surrounding Michael in Jesus' name. Sorry, I couldn't forget that. So here you are and you're in this place. And you've made a mistake so big that you don't think you're ever going to come back from. This is where David finds himself when he writes Psalms 51. 
Well, what do you mean? Now we'll get to 2 Samuel. Pull out your Bibles or your apps. Because now you're going to mark up your Bible. I need you to, needed you to know the mindset of the man he would become. So you would hear the story with new eyes. Because what you see from the flannel grams that we teach in Sunday school and the evidence in his life is that David had an issue with lust. But I think it rooted much deeper than this. And I want to get into some he motions, as the Bishop T.D. Jakes would say. I want to talk to you a little bit under the emotions of a man. I want to talk to you about what it looks like whenever a man's disconnected. And when a man's distracted. See, in chapter 6, <clears throat> David had just had the greatest victory of his spiritual and military life. As he brought in the Ark of the Covenant that had been lost and stolen and kept away. He was so triumphantly entering back into Jerusalem. He was celebrating this moment. And the one he was one with was not one with him. She was never his. She loved him at one point. She was about him at one point, but I think that McCall was more in love with the idea of being married to David than actually being married to David. I think she loved the idea of being married to a warrior until she had to hurt, help his scars. I think she loved the idea of being uh, married to a conqueror until he tried to conquer her. I think she loved the idea of being a queen until she realized she could no longer be a princess. See, that's the problem, ladies. You've been a princess your entire life and you have a man who wants to make you a queen and you don't understand it's a shift in responsibility. And so David, he's longing to have her rejoice with him. And instead she's too busy being Saul's daughter instead of being David's wife. She's so caught up in what her identity was she can never get with what her identity is. So David can have any woman he wants, can have as many wives as he wants. He can choose who he wants to be with, so he chooses not to be with her. Man gets disconnected from what he is. And so he goes through life. This once strong king who goes out onto the military front now sends his first in command out to fight his battles and he's called in whenever they're about to win so that David can come in for the photo ops. Don't believe me, read it. If you don't believe me, read it. It literally says, Joab calls to David and says, if you don't come now, they're going to give the victory assessed to me, King David. So by the time you get to chapter 11, man, this cat's so disconnected from what he's supposed to be and who he's supposed to be that he, in the time, if you'll read with me, 
In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his officers and all of Israel with him, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. In the time when the kings went to war, David stayed home. I'm only going to preach two verses to you today. One and two. But I'm going to tell you the whole story. David's on the rooftop. He's not where he's supposed to be. He looks down. He sees something he's not supposed to see. He calls and now has someone he's not supposed to have in a place she's not supposed to be. He does something he's not supposed to do and something happens that's not supposed to happen. Which leads to decisions that wouldn't have been made that affected people who didn't have nothing to do with the decision that had been made. Which got people killed who didn't have nothing to do with the decision that had been made. That made people betray their, 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 their subordinates who didn't have anything to do with the decision to be made. Which affected a young lady's life who didn't have anything really to do with the decision that was being made because the king had called for her. And more than likely, sorry to disrupt this, probably raped her. But because she couldn't deny the king even if she wanted to. Y'all, sorry, don't mean to tarnish that, but that could have happened. Now, the man's already disconnected from a lot of humanity because he's a warrior. Now the one who's supposed to be one with him is not connected to him because she's too busy being a princess instead of being a queen. So now he sees something that he wants and that conquering. See, ladies, you got to understand, men have to conquer something. It's in us. It's not, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. But if he wasn't on the field doing what he was supposed to be doing, all that passion, all that energy got denoted into something else. And now all of his energy that he could have been winning wars with actually got thrown into covering up this horrible decision that he decided to make when he was distracted up on the rooftop. Man, I don't know what happened. I don't know how we ended up in divorce law. I don't know how we ended up with me handing my wife papers, telling her I didn't want to be married to her anymore. Oh, see, now I'm getting raw. I left on Easter and I came home on Christmas. We were separated for eight months. See, nobody would know that because of the way we love each other now. But I was distracted up on a rooftop out of position from where I was supposed to be. And I looked down and I saw something. And in a heat of a moment, I made a decision that affected every part of my life. See, let me tell you what happens. And I'm sorry, I'm getting real, but I need to go through this. See, it, wasn't, it was David's repentance, not his sin that captured God's attention. That's the first thing you need to catch. See, I'm gonna tell you, the reason why my wife and I are together as I get into more of our story. 
It was because the way we chose to reconcile that made the difference. That's what caught each other's attention. I'm gonna tell you the story. I'm gonna share some stuff that's raw today. That's the reason why I didn't know how to go with slides. I don't know how you put your life story on slides. But here I was chasing God in a season of life, doing all the things I thought that was, I was supposed to be doing, and she wasn't moving fast enough for me. And so I started getting distracted. And whenever I should have been with her fighting fights of whatever she was going through, you feeling me, man? Whenever I should have been at war for my bride, I was up on the rooftop looking for a distraction. See, you can get distracted with tons of things, and don't let me get, let everybody just dogpile on me here for a second, okay? Because social media is a distraction. Keeping up with the Joneses is a distraction. Your job is a distraction. Social media, uh, your hunting seasons are a distraction. Sorry, fellas. Your shopping trips and hiding the receipts are distractions, ladies. Football season. We're still trying to figure out if that's a distraction. But (laughs) what I'm trying to tell you is there are so many things in our lives that gets us up on the rooftop when we're supposed to be on the battlefield of war that we get up on the rooftop and we start looking down. You see, the, 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 the issue that we come into here is there's four things distractions do. And I'm gonna go through this story of David real quick for you. First, it steals your position. In the time when kings were supposed to be at war, where was he at? On the rooftop, because he was distracted. He was distracted by what he was feeling. He was distracted because he was disconnected from his bride. He was distracted because he didn't have a sense of purpose. He was distracted because maybe he was just bored. I get bored. Oh, am I the only one? I mean, you ever seen that meme where it's the refrigerator being opened and it says you're not hungry, you're just bored? Go back and sit down. Maybe he was just bored. But distractions will steal your position because you'll get so distracted by what you want to do that you don't do what you can do. I'm going to say that a little bit louder and slower for the ones who shut their ears the first time. Distractions will steal your position from what you can be doing because you'll be focused on what you want to do. You'll get so caught up in tomorrow, you'll realize that today, today, that yesterday was your tomorrow you should have been doing something with. And in this passage, it steals David's position because he's not on the battlefield, he's up on the rooftop. It creates snowball decision-making. I need to free somebody real quick. Stop beating yourself up for the snowball you're looking at in your, in your kid's life. You've been beating yourself up because you keep looking and you say, man, this just keeps adding on and keeps getting bigger and it keeps this just snowballing. God's going to bring out the sun and melt that snowball real soon. 
when David is up on the rooftop, he can stop at any moment. It says he woke up from a nap. Go back to bed, dude. Goes up onto the rooftop. Maybe he just happened to clamp. Oh, what's that? Or maybe he went up there saying, hmm, wonder what I can see today. Wonder what I can get into. I don't know what his attitude was. I'm not trying to presuppose. All I know is that he saw her. Scripture said, and she was very beautiful, which means that he took the second, third, and fourth glance. The sin's not the first glance, fellas. That's the intrusion. Anything thereafter is the sin. Hey, I'm, I've seen a lot of body parts as a missionary to Haiti. And I'm telling you, eventually they just become parts. Some are big, some are small, some are attractive, some aren't very attractive. But at the end of the day, it's just parts, and God made them all. And so once you get to a certain point with it, you're just like, okay, whatever. So he was up there, he saw it, and, and that's, what it, that, that's what I want you to catch, okay? In some cultures, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Because they go down to the creek and bathe and do this stuff. It was a big deal in this culture. Because he was clearly looking over into a private area. He called for her. He could have quit when he looked at her. He could have quit whenever he called for her. He could have quit whenever she showed up. He could have quit at any moment before the consummation. I'm telling you right now, if you're an idiot in the middle of a stupid decision, stop. Don't try to figure it out. Stop. Don't try to fix it. Say it with me. Don't try to go back and apologize. Stop. At any moment, he could have stopped. At any moment, I could have stopped. My wife was willing for me to come home at any moment in that eight months. I'll tell you so much how I know. Because we were bitter. I was bitter. She was praying. I was bitter. And I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I need everybody to take your religious hats off for a second, okay? Because I'm going to talk about something that's not very religious. And I was coming out of a bar that had a retractable wall. In other words, when it was cold, they would close it down so they wouldn't have to heat as much of the bar. And then whenever there was a bunch of people in there, they would retract the wall out so they could heat the whole thing. It was an economics thing. I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, wow, I've never seen a room like this that's got a retractable wall. I had went out for dinner, saw it, called her, said, hey. Because I knew she'd be the only person that I could call and talk about nonsense with that would be okay with listening. I knew that from 15 years of her. Even though, even though we weren't being crazy friendly, I knew that if I called, she'd answer. I know that's cocky and arrogant because I knew she would answer, but I knew she would. And she did. And we laughed and we talked like we hadn't. Like seven or eight years. Because something had broken her I didn't know about. 
she started going back to church and she started praying for me. And so I talked to her from that bar all the way back up to this room that I had. And I'll never forget this sight for as long as I live. God, please never take this memory from me. And I'm looking out, over that, out of that window over the frozen green bay. And I hang up the phone with her. I was like, man, I must be out of my mind. I'd rather have screwed up with her than perfect with anyone else. And that was like the first or second week of December. And then Christmas, and I'm t- I know I'm sharing a lot of personal stuff, but it does tie in, I promise. Then Christmas comes around. And we do like the gift of the Magi thing. You ever read that story where like she cuts her, ha- she cuts her hair to buy him nails and he sells his hammer to buy her combs or something like that? Well, anyway, I knew wasn't nobody gonna buy her nothing for Christmas. Just knew they wasn't because, you know, me, cocky, arrogant, figured out, ah, ain't nobody in her life. She's not getting a Christmas gift. I better take care of her. She knew wasn't nobody going to get me nothing. Now, unbeknownst to both of us, we'd already started seeing other people. But when we had that moment on Christmas Day, I gave her a gift of extravagance because I was thinking about her. She gave me a gift of extravagance because she was speaking to me. And I'm looking at her and I was like, I think we need to go talk. Because you thought enough about me that you made sure that there was something here for me. And I thought enough about you. So that means this thing isn't over. We need to figure it out. Three weeks away from signing divorce papers. But God. What I'm trying to tell you is that a man can get so disconnected. He can get so focused on what he's feeling. He can get so tormented by what he's going through. He can get so out of place that he starts creating snowball decisions. And one decision leads to another decision, leads to another decision. That's where I found myself in my life. Because on Easter, I got aggravated and I said, well, fine, I'll leave. Well, she said, well, fine, leave. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to leave. Where are you going to go? I guess I'm going to go to mom's. Well, I guess I went to mom's. You see how I'm saying? Like quick snowball decision making. Oh, okay, well, fine then. Well, I guess you don't want to see your kids. No, I want to see them every other weekend. Now we're on a pattern. You see what I'm saying? Not thinking rationally, not thinking long term, just acting in the heat of the moment, making snowball. It was all piling up. And I finally got to a point where I was like, I can't do nothing about this because I've already started all of this. Until I decided to stop. I couldn't worry about how embarrassed I was that everybody knew what I had done. I can't, I don't even care what you think about what I've done. I really don't care. Because in eight hours that Christmas day, she and I both decided we weren't gonna care. When we reconciled, we decided that that was it. And it wasn't forgiveness, it was reconciliation. See, when I reconcile my checkbook, I go through it one last time and then I don't go back and keep checking to make sure that it's still paid. I'm gonna say that a little bit louder. Stop forgiving and start reconciling. Forgiveness means I can go back and keep reminding you of what I've done. Remember whenever I forgave you? Remember whenever I forgave you? Remember whenever I forgave you? Reconciliation is there's a bunch of crap on the table. I put a garbage can up here. said, you want any of this? No, okay, it's gone. And that's what we did. And David could have done that at any point in the process. But you know what? 
He couldn't because of his pride. See, pride is what keeps you from stopping all these bad decisions from snowballing on you. Pride says, I can't tell everybody that I've been out doing these things because what will they think if they find out? I can't tell everybody that I brought a married woman into the palace that I, and then we, and then it, so let's kill her husband. Dude, we got from this dude that was depressed in his marriage to murder in a hot minute. And then we wonder why WALA's got all that in the first 15 minutes. Because it don't take long to get from I love you to a bullet. Crimes of passion. I think there's a country music song about a crime of passion, about a beautiful woman and a desperate man, but I digress. We allow distractions so we can have an excuse to blame things on. Think about the validity of that statement. David knew what he was doing whenever he was up on that rooftop instead of being out there on the battlefield. He'd been king for a minute. He knew it's springtime. He knew hibernation was over. He knew it was time to get back out on the battlefield. I used the excuse of being a burned-out missionary to keep me sidelined for about two and a half years. Being honest, told you, putting a pound of flesh up here. Because I was not wanting to bother with it. Because this costs something up here. Like, it's different. It's you may get up here and stand up here and you don't think the view is very different, but it's a lot different because pastor and I talk about this. I honor this, not this table, the, the position, being able to come and speak to you. It costs something up here. It costs something yesterday whenever I was not knowing what I was going to say or do. I spent hours praying over this this week. Because I wasn't sure what direction God was taking me. And the distractions is the thing. That's what it's always been. The rooftop is where the distractions happen. But it starts this snowball decision-making process that David is not able to stop. Not because he can't, but because he won't. This makes me so angry. Because I see so many people who have put their families and their children and their employees in this snowball decision-making process that they can stop, but they won't stop because they're too prideful of what people will think. So we don't stop making bad decisions because it's less embarrassing? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we do. Because as the snowball gets bigger, each decision seems smaller. And the momentum is going, but you don't have your revolution. Because the snowball's so big now, it may be taking up a lot of space, but you only hit every so often because it's gotten so big now. And so guess what? Now you have... 
good old Uriah. Uriah's just walking along. <laughs> Boy, I love my wife, and I love my king, and I love my country. <laughs> and he just got hit by the snowball of David's decision. Want to know why good things happen to bad people and why bad things happen to good people? Because somebody is making a snowball decision and it just rolls, 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 rolls. Think about that police officer this week in Somerdale. What was that dude doing? Except going home after a long shift. Out of nowhere. From what I hear, a 90, 95 mile an hour missile. What's the, why did that happen? Because in the other car, somebody had been making snowball decision makings. Oh, I gotta do this now, I gotta do this now, I'm running from this now, I'm contacting here now. The only way is, is to keep going, I gotta go faster, I gotta. It's not always your fault whenever someone else's decision affects you. Man, Uriah's just minding his own. Serving his country. To the point whenever the king brings him back and says, yo, dude, I think you're dope. Come on, I want to I celebrate you. Go have a party, man. Here's some gifts. Dude, I can't do this. Why? The other cats are out in the field. I can't go back and be with the missus, man. That wouldn't be right. Like, they're all sacrificing. I got to be part of the bros. What? Okay. Hey, man, come hang out with me. I'm going to get you some scissor up. going to get you tipsy. Falls asleep on his threshold because he didn't want to leave the king and betray his men. That's the cat David killed. It wasn't like just some scrub soldier. It wasn't just like somebody who didn't matter. Like this was one of his most loyal people. Like, like not, not, just, not just like the cat who would go fight, but the cat that was the first in the fight. Like whenever they put him on the front lines, he wasn't even surprised. He was like, all right, let's go, let's go. Like he was about it, not even knowing that the person that he loved, David, was sending him like a lamb to slaughter. Hey, so this is what I want to tell you. If you've been led like a lamb to slaughter by somebody you loved and trusted, there's presidents. And God doesn't forget that. That's a word for somebody. Because see, God didn't forget what happened to Uriah. Matter of fact, multiple times over and over again, because Uriah was innocent in this and he was hurt, God came back and heaped consequences on David. So if you have been innocent in something and you were wrongly accused, I know it's sour right now, but I'm telling you, when God vindicates you, it's sweet. And even if you're not around to see it, justice is served. You may not believe that. But God deals out the justice. 
And you find yourself in the middle of this snowball. And now innocent people are being hurt. And it has costly consequences. See, it started with David being disconnected because of what happened with McCall. You fast forward and get to the place in chapter 11. Now he's disconnected, discontented. He is, he's in a place where he's making rash decisions, irrational decisions, irresponsible decisions, ill-informed decisions, unwise decisions. Because he's hurting about something. Because he's not doing what kings do. See, uh, uh, ladies, if I can speak to you just for a second as somebody who's benefited from having an amazing woman in my life now for almost 27 years. Listen to what he's not saying. Pay attention to what he's not doing. See what he's not able to express. Because more than what she speaks to is what she doesn't speak to sometimes in my life. And here he is. He's making these decisions. He's disconnected. Hmm. And all he is really looking for is something that is his in this whole situation. Do you see what I'm saying? Like he's the king of Israel, but he still doesn't feel like he has anything that's his. Because if he did, he wouldn't have to go out and conquer something that wasn't his. And so whenever I say listen to what he's not saying, what I'm saying is, is that as you, if you start seeing snowball decisions that are just pop, 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 if he can't stop, step in and say, what's going on? Because at any point in all this, somebody around him could have said, hey, dude, like you're the king. What are you doing? They didn't. But they could have. I can guarantee you if Pastor Rife starts popping off about some crazy stuff, one of us is going to say something about, hey, no, you don't need to be doing that. Let's think this through. I like breathing too. She'll kill us both. But right, I mean, like, Bathsheba could have stopped it. She could have died, but she could have stopped it. It really goes back to that thing that even Scott was saying on stage the other night. Why do people pay that ungodly amounts for that little bit of a gold substance? Because that's what they find value in. Like, how much was the value of that? Like, of that decision of doing the right thing. Because sometimes the decision of the right thing will cost you your life. And so Bathsheba, because she was married. Like, she could have said, no, until death do us part, kill me. She could have. I mean, don't look at me like, no, she didn't have a choice. No, she had a choice. She could have died. Jesus had a choice. He chose to die. Saying you always got a choice. It's just not always the choice you want. It's not the choice you want to make. It's the choice sometimes you have to make. And so it has costly consequences. Because what happens whenever he takes Uriah's wife and all the dust is settled and Uriah's dead and Bathsheba's mourned, what does David do? He marries her. Why? Because he's still trying to cover up the fact that he got her pregnant. 
He's trying to bring her in and say, oh, it must have been a premature birth. The stress, you know, new environment. What happens? The baby's born, and then he gets visited. Man, y'all might like Samuel, but I love Nathan in the story of David. Man, like, I see Nathan as being like this John the Baptist, just leather skin, mean, ornery, just coming in there and just laying it down to him. And comes in, he says, oh, king, there's these two men. Y'all know the story. He says, one guy was having a party and the other guy was a poor man. And the rich dude came and took the poor man's lamb and used it for his party and da-da-da-da-da. And David gets all up and like, oh, who is this? You know, he's got to pay. And Nathan looks at him and says, dude, that was you. What? Right? Man, that's, no, no. What you mean, man? Oh, no, you the one that stole Uriah's, that is Uriah's wife you stole, right? The one you had killed by the Ammonites? That's exactly the way he says it, too. The one you murdered by the Ammonites. You know you can commit murder by having somebody else kill somebody? Oh, what do you mean? Well, that's gossip and slander. We'll go into that another time. Because you can have other people murder somebody. He says, Uriah's wife. Like, she's referred to as Uriah's wife. And he says, God has seen this. Now, David's king. All right? So Pastor Rife goes into Joe Biden's office and says, yo, Joe, God saw what you did, bro. You're done. Uh, Secret service, well, we need to do that. Right? Joe, point that finger at him. Get him out of here. Is that what David did? Nah, man, David was broken. Immediately was broken. Like, didn't mess around with it. He was broken right then at that moment. And he confesses what he did as being wrong to the prophet. And Nathan says, okay, man, It's still going to totally jack up your family. Like, and listen, man, like, because you stole somebody else's wife in private, somebody's going to steal your wives and have relations in public. And everybody's going to see it and you're going to be shamed. Okay, now I want you to catch this. He's up on the rooftop and he makes the decision to be with Bathsheba. And everything up until the point of Nathan becomes about him hiding it. And everything that he chose to do, God amplifies so that it's corrected. You did this in private, this happens in public. You're not going to be able to keep the baby, by the way. He's going to become sick and die. Well, that sounds messed up. And then after, the next baby, David named Solomon with Bathsheba. 
And in that place, it doesn't say, and Uriah's wife gave David a baby. In that place, it says, and unto David, his wife gave him the baby that he named Solomon. And God came back and gave the baby a different name. See, a lot of people don't realize Solomon has two names. Solomon was the first name. But God came back and said, this baby's name is Jedediah, beloved. See, that goes back to my point about why I feel like David had God's attention. It wasn't how he sinned, it's how he repented. See, we've got this uh, patty cake, sunshine, lollipops, swings in the park idea of what repentance needs to look like. Let me kind of put it this way. I go out into the parking lot with a baseball bat and a sledgehammer. And I, for whatever reason, remodel Pastor Rife's car. Okay? I totally just bash it in. I know how he is about his car. That's why I'm saying this. I just totally mess it up. And then I go and throw a bunch of McDonald's bags in there, which is probably going to mess with him more than me damaging the outside. And then I come in, and he sees it, and he's livid. And I said, hey, Rife, I was just having a bad day, and um, I feel better now. (laughs) And uh, I'm really sorry about what happened, and I'm just so glad that we can put it behind us. (laughs) And then... Right? That's the way it works, right? Then why do we say that that's the way it works with God? David makes a train wreck out of his life. Decision after decision after decision after decision after decision. The prophet comes to him, and it's not just a decision. This is decisions over years. We read it over chapters. This is years of decisions. And then we read it and he's like, Nathan comes and he says he's sorry. And we're like, well, that should have fixed it. And then we read in the next chapter how his daughter's raped by her half-brother. And then we read two chapters later how his son goes and consummates with his concubines on the roof in the public eye to shame his father. And how every word of the prophet comes true. But God loves David. Because he didn't kill him. You want to talk about God's love looking weird? I'm going to ruin your entire legacy through your bad decisions. But I'm going to let you see it. That's not what he did, right? Because his legacy wasn't ruined. The seed of David, the key of David, Jesus was born through David. God really did love David, or he wouldn't have let his son be born through David. But see, hello to a new definition of love. 
Because sometimes love looks like you sitting in your consequences. That goes back to my story between my wife and I. Forgiveness doesn't cancel consequences. Reconciliation does. Forgiveness will never be enough. Only reconciliation. And we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, what, 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 what? Don't believe me? Look it up. It's, it's like Pauline writing somewhere in the New Testament, I promise. Test me in it. If I'm wrong, we'll talk about it, but I'm not. Paul writes about the fact that we're called to a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, that we're to reconcile people who are lost to a Savior who loves them. That's the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to reconcile the people who are lost unto us. We're supposed to graft people in. Reconciliation. See, reconciliation is different than forgiveness. See, I would have much rather my debt be reconciled on student loans than forgave. Because if it was reconciled, I don't have to go do nothing. It's just done. Forgiveness means I got to go ask. I'm going to let that sit for a second. Because your debts are already reconciled. All you have to do is ask for the forgiveness. He's already not keeping track of them. You just have to ask for the forgiveness. Price has already been paid. It's already, the balance is already full. You just have to, you see what I'm saying? But we seek forgiveness when we should look, be looking for reconciliation with people. I want to reconcile with people. I don't want to have junk that's there. I want it to be there and then wipe it off into the garbage and say, okay, let's start fresh and anew. Did we get everything that we wanted off the table? Okay, so that's what we're going to keep and everything else we're throwing in the trash. Cool, let's go. We do this in our marriage probably, I don't know, once every couple of years. Go back, evaluate, figure out what's working, figure out what's not working, say, okay, you got everything off the table that you want. Okay, everything, so, okay. Oh, you wanted the, uh, I figured you did, okay. Right? Why is that important? Because it's healthy reevaluation. It keeps you very much on track of where you're wanting to go. See, the reason why we get off track, the reason why David got off track is because he didn't have somebody saying, hey, king, 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 the rooftop, the rooftop is not where you're supposed to be. We're out here on the battlefield. Come down here. This is your place. This is your position. See, I know that sometimes I'm uh, all over the place, but a lot of times I'm calling from a place of where I want you to be here seeing this the way I see it. Because when you see it that way, then you'll understand why I speak to it the way I do in your life. God wants, you, God wants the world to see Jesus in me, so I must live a life that reflects his glory. So whenever I'm up on the rooftop, I need Rife to be in my life saying, hey, are you sure that's where you're supposed to be right now? I know it's cool. I know it's refreshing. I know it's great to have a distraction. But do you really need 
that in your life right now? Is that the proper position for you? Because remember, those distractions, they take you out of position. They hurt the innocent. They create snowball decisions. All those things that are happening, he can see from the outside because he's looking at me from a different perspective. I'm over here on the battlefield. You need to be over here. I wonder if he knows that Bathsheba's house is between me and him. You see what I'm saying? Like, you have to be willing, have a teachable spirit, so that when someone is calling to you and you're on a rooftop experience, that you don't stay up there and say, well, I'm, I'm good, I got it, I got it. I'm just not going to look over there. I'm seeing I'm looking over here, I'm not looking here. I'm looking over here. Uh, oh, oh, well, I, I, I did catch a glance, but. Flee. Resist the devil. I think that at this point in David's life, man, David was tired. Like, you may not understand this, but I'll say this for those who do. Like, depression will wear you out. Like, like depression's not fun. Especially, like, when you look and you know that everything you're depressed about is because you made a stupid decision. That's snowballing out of control, and you don't know how to make it go away. Because you won't stop! Your pride keeps saying, if anybody finds out, man, if anybody finds out you got this issue, man, if they find out you're this addicted to bagels, man, it's going to be a real bad hole in your reputation. Man, if, you, if anybody finds out you've got this issue, that's where the enemy lies. Y'all do remember why he got thrown out of heaven, Right? It wasn't because he tried to take over. It was his pride. He tried to be equal with God. His pride told him he could be equal with God. His pride's what got him tossed out. Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they did once they realized sin? They covered themselves. Why? Because their pride. Moses didn't get to go to the promised land. Why? Because in his anger... He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock like God told him to. His, your anger is your pride. You make rash decisions. Oh, oh, it's not just depression. Anger makes you make decisions that are distracted as well. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can make you make distracted decisions, but here's the problem. When we make distracted decisions, our legacy is in jeopardy. Your distracted decisions today can jeopardize your, le your legacy tomorrow. Don't believe me? David made one decision. I'm not going to war today. And it snowballed from that into the murder of three people that I can tell you right offhand. Because Uriah was murdered. 
Then Ammon was murdered because of the, the rape of Tamar. And then Absalom was killed in battle because of the, the, the battle that he waged against his father because he didn't think his father cared enough about the rape of his sister. Why? Because David decided not to go to, to battle. Dude, you've got to listen to me right now. The decisions you make today matter. You've got to be focused. You have to be vigilant. Scripture says that he moves about as a lion seeking those he may kill, steal, and destroy. That's the sick. That's the isolated. That's the slow. That's the ones he's coming after. Quit making this seem like it's, you just, I can just go blindly through this. You can't. Because if you get distracted, you're dead. Why has he always got to be about this warfare stuff? Because it's real? Because I don't want you to be like the rest of the world, unaware of what's really going on around you? I was listening to this song today by this cat named Rick Pino, and he says, you're, you're an army that's raised for battle. And then the name of the song is a song for an end time army. And what it's talking about is that we cut off the giant's head. We giants for our bread. Like, I'm so sick of watching Christians who should be doing better not. Like, I am so sick of watching people who are literally empowered with the Holy Ghost. Because I've, I've, I've watched them. I've seen it. I've heard, them, I've heard them pray. I've heard them sing. I've heard them do this stuff. And then whenever it comes to the battles that they have in their lives, they don't know what to do. Like, if you give them a script, oh, they can, they can pray off of prompts. They can do this. They can do that. But whenever it comes down to the wartime reaction, they've never been trained. All they have is, is, is just, I've, I've read, I've, but I've never had anybody mentor me. You know how many people are sitting around waiting for people to mentor them? I had a conversation with a cat on Friday night talking about the fact, literally been in church his entire life and never really felt like he's had somebody that's truly mentored him. For whatever reason. And so we get to this place and we're making these distracted decisions that are affecting our legacies and we don't have anybody that we're bouncing decisions off of. Scripture says that you should, you should seek the counsel of many. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. Well, what if I don't have anybody, then who can I seek counsel with? David was surrounded by everyone and still felt lonely. I mean, it might have been normal. Jesus made a practice of often retreating away. So maybe it did start out like that. Maybe in the beginning, David was isolating himself because he would get away and he would worship and he would do his thing. And then as the responsibilities got more, I'm using my imagination right now, but I want you to go there with me because this is the way it happens in our lives. We enter into our prayer closet Two or three weeks, we're in there and we're praying, we're focused, we know exactly where we're going with it, we're praying. And then something happens at work or something happens at the house. And so instead of it being, Lord, you're worthy of all my honor and all of my praise, God, Lord, and I just magnify you, God, and it becomes, Lord, you know, this is really burdening me. You know, I have really got this on me and I am really 
And before you know it, that prayer closet has become a gripe session. And you wonder why you pray and you don't feel better. Well, stupid. Stupid is, stupid does. If I put myself in a place where all I'm doing is confessing negativity, what am I going to come out of? But whenever I say, Lord, you're worthy, then I have to process what it means whenever I say he's worthy. And then I have to process what it means coming from me. See what I'm saying? Like, if you want to know how to pray, just get in there and be real gut with God for about 15 minutes about who he is and about who you are. It won't take you, you'll have it figured out. You really will. Because in this place, David has isolated himself. The most dangerous place for a man to be is isolated. I say a man, man, woman, but I can only speak from my perspective, and my perspective is that of a man. So I know that the most dangerous place for me to be is isolated. I do better whenever I've got people around me. Accountability, teamwork, strength. You know, cord, cord of three strands is not easily bo- broken. So here's your apply and, 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 and activate. Is You need to identify your distractions and delete them. Wow, that was easy. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I had a real hard time coming up with this, so Pastor Reif helped me. Because all I knew was, was I was going to just pour out me up here today. Because I know what it feels like to be the dad who made some distracted decisions. And this is where I've been trying to get all day. Some of you need to put your hand up and just say stop. You're looking around. And you're looking at those things happening in your life because of those, disti- those distractions. You've watched as it's taken you out of position. Because you've been distracted. And I'm going to talk about being distracted by being hurt. Being distracted by being abandoned. Being distracted by being lost in the mix. Not being used, having your talents abused, not having your talents used enough. I'm going to talk about all the things that we use as the excuses so that we can be uh, putting the blame on all of our distractions. Because we like to use these distractions as the reasons why we don't make steps forward. Man, come on, just come on and get plugged into what we're doing. I don't know, I tried that before and I really got hurt. You know how that is. Yeah, dude. I, I deal with people every day. I know exactly what being hurt is. Happens outside the church and inside the church. Grow up. Come on, you're really talented in this. Why won't you? Man, because I just know they're going to make me do it their way. Yeah? Yeah, they are. That's what being mentored is. That's what being discipled is. They're going to teach you how to do it their way. I just don't know if I'm down for that. And that's why you're not connected. That's, that's why you don't have fruit in your life. Like, there's trees that bear fruit without roots, but not many. Most of the plants that have the deepest root have the greatest fruit. And I'm not trying to be all illiterate here. I'm not trying to get you hyped up. I'm not trying to get the organ going in the background. The truth is, is my roots run deep. 
in the ground of Jehovah. And my roots run deep in places of hurt. See, a couple of weeks ago, I used a word called grief and that wasn't the right word, it's sorrow. God sees sorrow. Grief, grief is what we go through, but sorrow, sorrow is like that thing that's not described, that you can't describe, you know? Like sorrow is like sadness and regret. Like sorrow is like, it can't be fixed, it has to be healed. And like, that's what David was in the middle of, was sorrow whenever he wrote Psalms 51. Because he was a man after God's own heart, which meant what broke God's heart broke his, which meant that his sin against God that broke God's heart, he actually, he actually broke his own heart. David actually broke his own heart because he was so close to God. I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's what I'm talking about is something that's so big, you can't come back from it. That's the hurt that I know because I've broken my own heart so many times because I felt like I couldn't forgive myself of what I did. And God, through his infinite love and mercy, has again and again shown me how he's forgiven me. And in every season, I feel like I have something I can't forgive. He shows me a new way. My friend that I was speaking to the other night, I told him that the reason why he can't move forward is because he can't get past one person in his life. And though I might not have said it this way, what I meant to say was, was that the one person in his life he couldn't get past was himself. Because see, distractions on the rooftop only happen between you and yourself. David didn't have anybody else up there with him speaking into his life. There wasn't an advisor up there going saying, hey man, this is a great idea. I think you really should do this. You should double down on this and make that decision. He didn't have, uh, sir, this isn't the wisest decision. We need to go ahead and get you out of here. You're, you're highly visible if an assassin tried to take you out. He's up there, vulnerable. And if David would have just got out of David's way, he would have been on the battlefield. Because dude, like, my wife, and I brag on her a lot because we've been through a lot. She didn't get this at the beginning, okay? I'm gonna tell you, I, I wasn't as put together as I am now. She's had to put up with a lot and help me learn a lot. And both vice versa, we've been through it. But I, whenever I find myself in the rooftop times, I go to her and I tell her, I feel like I'm going into a rooftop season. I may not say it that way, but I'm like, hey, I really need you to help me stay focused. I'm really having an issue here. I need, you, I need you to pour into me a little bit extra this week. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm that guy. I'm needy. I'll go to her and I'll tell her I'm needy. And I'll say, look, I understand the kids need you. I understand that the grandbaby needs you. But like right now in this week, I'm under a lot of stuff. I really need you to lavish love on me this week. 
Because if not, I'm gonna get distracted. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get messed up in my thoughts. I mean, these are literal, these are conversations we have. Because I know what it's like whenever I'm not honest with her and I'm not open with her and I don't tell her I'm going through stuff. Then, then she's the wondering what's going on all the time. And that's worse. Okay, guys, I don't know if you've ever had a woman ask you ad nauseum what's wrong. What's wrong? Nothing. I promise. I know something's wrong. I promise you nothing's wrong. What is wrong with you? You're just not being yourself. I, I, I promise you. I'm good. Two hours later. Well, hey, remember what? Yeah, what? Oh, well, this was what was wrong. I knew something was wrong with you. But what I'm saying is, is whenever I have that conversation, because she knows me as well as I know me, and she knows different perspectives of me. See, I usually preach this message to men because the fact that I feel like it's such a, a, a centric message to what we need to, to understand as men. But women, it's also to you as well. We've got to have these open lines of communication that whenever we feel like we're going to a rooftop that somebody knows to check on us. The rooftop's not always bad. In Haiti, it was a great place for me to go. I would go up to the rooftop. I could clear my mind. I could get away from all of my guys. I could pray up there. It was a great breeze up on top of the rooftop. I could see for miles. It was a great place of vision. But I couldn't stay up there too long. Because whenever I got up there, I would get distracted by what I saw or I would get disconnected from what was happening down there. And if I stayed up there too long, I'd come back down and everything would be chaos down below because in that season, they needed a little bit more supervision. You need to identify what your distractions are and delete it. For some people, you may need to take your phone and throw it in the bay and go get a flip phone and never look back at a smartphone. Just being real. Or, you know, gouge out your eye, cut off your arm, or whatever else Jesus said. Um, some of you drink poison every day when you look at social media. Because you either live vicariously through somebody else, or you're mad at the life somebody else is getting to live. And you're comparing. Men, some of y'all really need to man up and finally make covenants with your eyes and get out of distractions. Because I'm not just talking about where you might go on your phone, www.shouldn'tbehere.com. I'm talking about the places you go when you work, the places you go when you travel, the incidental contacts that you make sure that you have with certain people throughout your day that's not cheating, but if you wanted it to, you could. I'm being real. I'm speaking right now into somebody's life, and I'm not joking. Some of y'all are teetering real dangerously right now on a rooftop that you need to get back from the edge of. Because some of you are in the same place. Hold on just for a second. This is a word coming. Some of y'all are in a place of McCall and David. Some of you feel like that either your wife or your husband has rejected your worship. And God's speaking directly to you right now that that is a lie from the pit of hell that they have not rejected your worship, that they are not in a place of rejecting you. They do not see you with contempt. They do not see you with disgust as McCall saw David. It is a lie and quit accepting the fact that you found something in scripture that sounds similar to make it apply to your situation. It's not the same. I'm just telling you right now, 
God made me arrest the moment in this service so that a husband and a wife could have a clear understanding about something that God desires the worship that the two of you bring together and you need to quit finding the excuses to stop making it happen. Sorry. Identify distractions and delete them. And the second is draw closer to God. When we draw closer to God, it, 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 there's, there's a difference there. There's a difference that happens when we choose to draw closer to God instead of buying into the distraction. Think about it. David was up on the rooftop. If he, if he had chose to, to say, okay, look, I'm gonna draw God closer to God during this season. I'm not gonna go to the battlefield, but I'm gonna go to battle for those guys right here. And I'm gonna pray up here. I'm gonna make this rooftop my sanctuary. Think, I mean, just feel me here for a second. When a distraction comes, whenever that thought comes, whenever that anxiety comes, whenever that doubt comes, Scripture says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. So if you start to pray in the moment of anxiety, when you start to pray in the moment of temptation, when you start to pray in that moment of affliction, you need to hear what I'm saying. Like, if you will arrest the moment... Take it, it says take every thought captured through the renewing of your mind through the washing of the word. Why does this stuff just come out like that? Because I put it in me so that whenever I need it, it just pops out. I don't have to think about how I'm gonna fight. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. At your table. I know the word of God. I've hidden it deep inside of me. So whenever it comes, I come back at it. I don't, see, God has put a standard up in me so that whenever the enemy comes like a flood, I come raging back. I don't have to be in fear. That's the word about fear. When we draw close to God, we sit inside his perfect love and perfect love cast out all fear. Can we get to that place where our reaction is the response of love? Can we get to the place where our reaction is I'm not going to let this anxiety overwhelm me, but I'm gonna respond back through the power of God. You're worried about your kids and you've been praying for your kids. What have you been praying? Can I give you something new to pray? Pray that your kid is surrounded in the perfect love of God. Pray that you're surrounded in the perfect love of God. Because I know what it's like to be a parent who's worried about your kid. And if I pray, God, surround me in your perfect love. According to scripture, fear can't sit inside that perfect love. See, our activate and apply, I can identify distractions all day long and just keep deleting them. As fast as I delete them, another one will pop up just like a pop-up on the computer. But I can choose to live a life that's undistracted. In other words, it doesn't mean that they're not gonna come, they're just not gonna stay. Troubles come, but they can't stay. That's the saying down in the Caribbean. Oh, troubles can come, but they can't stay. No, no. There's a saying down in Haiti that says that you can't eat okra with one finger. Have you ever tried to eat okra? Can't do it with one finger, right? It takes many fingers, it takes a bunch of fingers. What it is, is it's a, it's a, it's a saying on teamwork. 
But I'm going to tell you that you can't do this alone. Like you can't do it alone. The reason why David got in trouble is because he went to the rooftop alone. If he would have taken any of his mighty men, he wouldn't have ended up with Bathsheba. David chose to be up on that rooftop alone. And a lot of you choose to fight alone when you don't have to be alone. We, there's a reason why we're supposed to come together like this. And I don't know how this turned this way, but this is where it's going. Is that if you feel like you've got to made a mess, that you've made a mistake that's too big for you to recover from, if you feel like the snowballs of decisions are just coming down the hill and they're destroying everything in this path, your lives, your kids' lives, your job, your employment, your future, your... I know there's some people that feel like they're right there and they see that like almost like the uh, cartoons where they see a, right? It's coming down the hill towards you. You know what keeps that snowball coming towards you? Fear. Because all you got to do is say stop. Isn't that funny that you would just have to raise your hands, submit to God and say stop. Just stop. My revelation on this word is that David was out of position. He chose to be out of position. That one decision hurt the innocent, made a snowball of decisions in his life, and made it where it was almost impossible to recover from it, but he did. And it affected his legacy. You read from this point forward, the story gets real jacked up. Real quick. Real often. Why? Because he broke God's heart. He really did. And that's what it says. It says in Scripture, basically, that you broke God's heart. You betrayed God. He'd given you everything. He gave you the kingship. He gave you the country. He gave you everything, and you betrayed him. You broke his heart. So what I want to tell you is this. If you feel like you've broken God's heart, feel like you've broken your own heart, God wants to heal that. There are consequences for our choices. But not unto death. All of that is done. The sin, the grave, all of that's done. All the consequences are here. But God can free you from some of that too. Most of it, if not all of it. But you have to choose to fix it. And not the way David chose to fix it, by hiding it every step of the way, but in a Psalms 51 kind of way. See, the reason why creating me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit in me is so prevalent here because every day I find something in my heart and my spirit that I want him to change. If I feel myself falling into an attitude, creating me a clean heart, O Lord, renew a right spirit in me. It's such a powerful testament of what we need to be confessing over our lives. And David's completely broken at this place. Completely broken. This is not coming from a place of pride. This is as broken as you're going to see this man. The one thing I forgot to to mention was in the middle of this, he brings in Mephibosheth between McCall and this moment. I want to mention that because the brokenness piece is, is really important there. David makes a train wreck out of his life with this one decision. 
Mephibosheth is the crippled son of Jonathan that David brings to his table to come eat whenever he says, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to in the house of Jonathan? And they said, his son Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth was a baby, whenever his daddy was dead, was pronounced dead, the nursemaid dropped him and broke his back, so he's crippled. And so whenever David calls for Mephibosheth, he could have just killed him because that's what you did with the heirs of the people who were left from the kings before you. Instead, he calls and shows him kindness. The reason why I wanted to bring that up is because Mephibosheth was broken through no choice of his own. And then two chapters later, David breaks his entire left life through every choice that he makes. It doesn't matter which side of that you're on. If you've made the decisions that's brought you to the place of being crippled or you're in a place of being crippled because you, things have happened to you that you had no choice, you're one of those innocent people. I want to tell you that even now, God's saying there's a seat at his table. There's a place for you. That word that you gave to Sherry, Pastor Rife, I wanted to let you know, completely and totally freed her of some stuff that, you, that whenever you drop that on her, about the, the seat at the table. And I feel like it's a word that other people need to hear is that there's a seat for you at the table. And you may feel like you're Mephibosheth. Something happened a long time ago that put you in a place of not being able to perform the way everybody else did. God's saying that he's restoring both Mephibosheth and David today. That's the revelation. That's that new revelation you, were, you prayed over me. That's the revelation, Shay, that you prayed over me before service, right there. That God is restoring both Mephibosheth and David today. Hmm. Mephibosheth was a broken man who couldn't even bring himself to the table. The son that would have been king, David's best friend, Jonathan. And he says, what am I that a dog like me should come to the table and dine at the table with the king? And David just looked at him and had compassion because of how much he loved his dad. So you see, like, I think it's in chapter 8 where he brings Mephibosheth in. And then by chapter 10, he's so disconnected that he, so here's Mephibosheth being broken through no choice of his own. And David breaking everything in his life through choices that he's made. And God is saying right now, today is the day of reconciliation and restoration for both David and Mephibosheth. That should cover everybody in the house pretty much. Broken through no actions of your own or broken through every stupid action of your own. God's restoring both David and Mephibosheth today.